Welcome back to They Reminisce Over You. I'm Christina. And I'm Miguel. Today we are talking about, in my opinion, the greatest rap duo of all time. Who could that be? That would be Outkast. Outkast. <laughs> Goody mob and uh so Outkast <laughs> is one of the most successful hip-hop groups of all time. They've got six Grammy Awards. Rolling Stone ranked them number seven on the top duos of all time. 25 million records sold, all that good stuff. So I think we should talk about it. I think so, too. You ready? Yep. Okay, let's go. All right. So what was your first introduction to Outkast? My first introduction to Outkast was actually the Players Ball video specifically. So I heard them and saw them at okay. the same time. I remember you telling me that Diddy helped direct the video and yeah. he told Andre to take off his shirt. <laughs> his great directorial <laughs> advice. Yes. So as a teenage girl, you know, it worked because <laughs> I was like, who's this cutie? And then I actually liked the song as well. So Which that helps. helps. <laughs> it does. And the whole album as well. Okay. For me, it was the same thing. It was Player's Ball, but I didn't hear it when the album came out. I heard it on the LaFace Family Christmas album because my aunt had it. And I'm just listening to it as she's playing it. And it's got Tony Braxton and TLC did Slay Ride and a couple other R&B folks they had signed to LaFace. And then Player's Ball came on. Mm -hmm. And that's when it's like, oh, what's this? On a Christmas album. On a Christmas album. And just listening to that and hearing Player's Ball in the middle of all this R&B. R&B was like, oh, this is different. Who are these guys? And then a little bit later is when I saw them on MTV. Uh, mm -hmm. They were interviewed about the video. I don't remember why they were chosen because the song wasn't even out yet. And they're just sitting on a couch really unattentive like two 18-year-olds would be being interviewed by Fat Five Freddy. And then they played the video and I was hooked from that point. Yeah, I didn't even know it was a Christmas song until way, way, way later because yeah. I never heard the Christmas album. Right. And even though they made some edits to make it less Christmassy when they released it as a single for the album, there's still lines in there that yeah. keep with that Christmas-ish yeah, theme. Yeah, you can definitely hear it if you're listening for it. And the biggest major difference is instead of saying all day and day sleepy brown says on christmas day right in the christmas version but everything else is pretty much the same yeah. things are just muted on the album version and single version but it's pretty much the same yeah and there's still the lines like decking the halls and yeah. ho 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 and stuff. <laughs> but again if you're not really paying attention it just I don't think anyone be like, oh, they're talking about Christmas. Right. <laughs> but after knowing it, you're like, OK, exactly. this makes sense now. <laughs> and it's funny that they basically got forced into doing the song because they had been signed for maybe a year or so before that. And L.A. really wasn't giving them any attention. He because can, they were rappers or just. Yeah, he really didn't understand hip hop at the time. And he really didn't understand them and what they were doing. They were on the TLC What About Your Friends remix, and it's bad. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard it. It doesn't sound like anything that you've ever heard from Outkast. It sounds like them trying to be DOS effects, basically, <laughs> and it's not really good. Well, as we'll get into later, that's not surprising that they're trying to sound like current rappers. Yeah, it's just funny that they made that big leap in a year. Like, it was a few years after it came out that I finally heard it. I think they were probably on their third album by the time I heard the remix of this. Because right. I really wasn't listening to TLC like that. But to hear that big jump from that to the Southern Playalistic stuff is mm -hmm. really interesting. Well, that's a perfect segue into... 
their first debut album. Southern Playalistic Cadillac Music. Released in 1994, which is the second golden age of hip hop. And yeah. them and this album is included in that era. Yeah. And being two 18-year-olds just rapping their asses off over some dope production by Organized Noise, it got them four and a half mics in the source, which is interesting, just knowing what we know happened a few months later. And getting four and a half mics in the source at that time was a pretty big deal. It was. Even if it wasn't a full five, four yeah. and a half is still pretty good. Because fives were rare anyway, but for them to get a four and a half mic album first time out was a pretty big deal. For me, the first time hearing it, it was just so different in so many different ways. First of all, just simply hearing their accents. Right. <laughs> and it was just like really funky and yeah. soulful at the same time. A lot of instruments and stuff, right. which you weren't really hearing as much. Yeah, it was a lot of live instrumentation on the album. Right. And just right from the beginning with the first interlude with the, hey, this peaches. <laughs> <laughs> They wanted to make this Atlanta. This is who we are. This yeah. is how we talk. This is where we live. You know, the first time I'm hearing about Decatur and Bankhead, I didn't know what those things were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, none of us really did unless you were living in Georgia or right. somewhere in the South. Like I had relatives in the South and I had no idea of anything in Georgia outside of Atlanta at the time. So mm -hmm. I definitely didn't know. But in terms of the album itself... Around this time is when we're deep in the middle of G-Funk. So your boy Warren G, the death row sound, it, it's really the prevalent sound of the time. But G-Funk was laid back, mm -hmm. but this was even more laid back than G-Funk. Well, I was thinking that, especially for you growing up in L.A. and you're already listening to this L.A. rap, it probably wasn't that much of a huge departure just because it wasn't yeah because la rap was already using a lot of funk samples and stuff so this sound was basically that but then these like really slowed down bass beats yeah which is definitely made for driving it it sounds bad to say it like this but it makes you almost want to fall asleep to it <laughs> because it's so laid back it's not boring by any means but it's just Really, really laid back. It's like if yeah. you want to sit around and do absolutely nothing, this is what you can put on. But then you think about like living in Atlanta, it's hot there in the country. Yeah. There's lots of like just woodsy greenery. <laughs> like you just kind of sit around and yeah. just be hot and lazy <laughs> and stuff. You know what I mean? Like Dealing with humidity. <laughs> so it, it really fits that environment when you yeah. think about it, right? It does. So just listening to the album. What is your favorite song on this album? This was actually a hard choice for me because I don't think I ever thought about which one is my favorite song. I like the whole album, but I have a handful of favorites. Okay. I always loved Hootie Who right. <laughs> because I love that they basically make you wait for a whole minute before the beat drops. <laughs> and then when it comes in and, you know, it just gets you. But um, the way I decided what would be my favorite song was how would I feel if this was the first song I heard? off the album okay and as much as i love it players ball and southern playlistic is still they're the to me the standouts right so between those two is also really really hard i kept listening to the two of them back and forth back okay. and forth trying to figure out which one would i want to listen to more i ended up picking southern playlistic cadillac music just because to me that song felt like it embodied the themes okay. of the whole album a little bit more right. but honestly it's like it was a hard choice it could be either maybe I'll change my mind tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs>
That's fair. Mine wasn't either of those. It was ain't no thing because around this time you're listening to Southern rappers and very few of them were like lyrically inclined to keep up with these New Yorkers, so to speak. But they're rapping their asses off on this song. And just the beat and how it sounds and how the bass line is, it, it just really drives the song for me. And I just love it. Like it's a perfect marriage of that beat and them just rapping their asses off. It's just my favorite on the album. I did love Crumbling Herb as well. Yeah. Because it's just so smooth and mellow. Right. And it's such a different sound. Yeah. I listened to it so much that the first copy of the cassette I had just disintegrated, basically. (laughs) I don't know how many times I've bought this album on cassette and CD. It's just something that I have to have all the time and will always be on my phone or in my CD collection. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about buying the 12 inch, even though I don't have a turntable right now. (laughs) Eventually. (laughs) Yeah. It's on my to-do list to buy us a turntable, but I'm definitely getting that album. Well, the funny thing is with you saying how you had bought the cassette a bunch of times and the CD multiple times, we talked about this before with streaming and how we consume music now. But even now, there are the odd times where I will still actually purchase the digital album, even though I know I can just stream stuff all the time. Because, you know, as soon as you cancel your streaming service, you don't have access to it anymore, right? I don't know if it's just habit from us before actually buying physical copies, but if it's an album that I really, really want and I don't actually have a physical copy, I'll still buy the digital copy just to make sure that like I have my own files and you can't take it away from me just because I canceled the subscription. Well, you remember this when we first got the Apple Music subscription. Mm -hmm. When it first started, I was buying albums not knowing that I could just stream them. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So I have a bunch of albums that I probably shouldn't have bought, but I did anyway. Oh, well. And and I'm okay with that. That's fine. Yeah. (laughs) What are your thoughts about this album as a whole? It's not my favorite Outkast album, mm-hmm. but like you always like to mention, it's a no-skip album. I don't skip any songs on this album unless I just don't feel like hearing it, but right. it wouldn't be a skip because I don't like it. Like I love everything about this album from the intro to the ending. My only pet peeve, and this is a small little sidebar, I don't know if this classifies as the term that you just told me about called melodic misogyny. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I (laughs) meant to write her name down and we'll put it in the notes and tweet it out and put it on Instagram. There was someone who came up with the term melodic misogyny Mm. to describe outcast music and it's perfect. Yeah, and not just outcast music, but in general, just, you know, having to deal with misogyny, but loving the song. (laughs) I don't know if this particular one classifies as that, but my small pet peeve is in interludes or in the song, they'll have like a woman moaning or, or <laughs> yeah. you know, feigning sex. So in Funky Ride, I love the song, but near the end, the moaning gets a bit out. much. Yeah. And you're just <laughs> sitting there minding your own business. I'm listening to this as a teenager, you know, right? moms comes by, <laughs> like that is the small thing that makes it not a complete no skip <laughs> right. for me because I don't want to hear a woman moaning. <laughs> I will chalk that up to being done by two 18-year-olds who thought this was a good idea. Well, I mean, they were definitely not the only ones who (laughs) did that. And at least they were 18-year-olds because there are many other rappers who are not 18-year-olds who do this shit all the time, too. I'll let them slide on that (laughs) because as I was listening to it then, because I'm the same age as them, it didn't bother me at all. But listening to it this week, it's like, 
Uh, you could have taken that. Yeah, up. <laughs> we don't really need all that. So, anyways, the last song, though, deep. They actually do the little greetings, Earthlings. Right. <laughs> so, do you think that? They had sort of planned this for the second album, or maybe they were just like, oh, let's use this and tie it into their second album, which is AT Aliens. Just listening to the second album and how this song sounds compared to the rest of it, I'm thinking this one was recorded towards the end of their recording sessions. It does sound like the rest of the album, but it also sounds a lot like AT Aliens, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that was a conscious choice or if they were just moving in that direction anyway. Mm-hmm. But I think it was just recorded later. Right. Before we get into ET Aliens, yep. something important happened before that, sure which did. we did talk about in one of our previous episodes, and that was the 95 Source Awards. Yes, the groundbreaking statement by Mr. Andre Benjamin on stage at and the upset, 95. And upset, a very upset yes. Andre Benjamin. <laughs> at the Source Awards, basically they win Best New Artist. They get a less than enthusiastic response when the envelope is open from Kid and salt and Pepper, and then the crowd just rains booze down on them. Hence our intro when I said outcast. <laughs> yes. That was how they were announced as the winners. Get him out in the house. <laughs> <laughs> like, come on, man. Just show a little bit more enthusiasm. Yeah. But it's funny that they get booed by the crowd, yet in the Source magazine, they got four and a half mics. Right. So critically, uh, the New Yorkers were okay with it. It's just the general public were like, yeah, you're not yeah. from New York. We don't care about this shit. And also, even if they did like it, I think the fact that they won over, uh, I can't remember who the nominees are, but I'm sure there were some New York artists in there. Yeah. So I'm sure um, the... I don't even remember. I think Illmatic was on it. You know what? I'm going to look it up. Uh, 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 I think I have it in my notes still. As much as we talked about it the first time. Okay, it was okay. Bone Thugs. Yep. Ill and Al Scratch. Yes. And Smith and Wesson. So Ill you, Al Scratch yep. and Smith and Wesson. Yeah, so you have them winning over two New York groups. So I'm sure that added to the booze, even yeah. if in general it seemed as if, for the most part, people liked them. But Ill and Al Scratch, though. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Where am I? Oh, I, I listened to Smith and Wesson, but... They were not better. Yeah, than they're not better than Outkast. Like I listened to Smith and Wesson <laughs> too, but if you gave me the top ten artists yeah. of 1994, 1995, Smith and Wesson wouldn't have been in yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, even if Bone Thugs won over Outkast, that would still make sense too, because Bone Thugs was also another group that kind of ushered in this new sound yeah. and a different style. So between those four, I would choose either Outkast or Bone Thugs. Yeah, South got something to say. That's all I got to say. Is one of the biggest moments in music history because it essentially was the rallying cry mm-hmm. for all of southern artists to say hey he's on tv saying that we can do this even right. though there were southern artists making albums at the time so you had ghetto boys and scarface and two live crew even though they were more booty shaped right. music and a few others as well there were people from the south making music but until andre said that it's like no we all can do this rather than just these handfuls of people who got lucky and were able to get put on, so to speak. Pretty much any Southern rapper coming up around that time and even after cite that 
yeah. as their inspiration or the thing that they needed to just push them to actually try yeah. to do it. As upset as he was, and you could tell it was just something he just said off the cuff. Yeah. <laughs> it became like a really important moment for a lot of Southern rappers. Yeah, he said he hadn't planned to say any of that, but the moment just grabbed him while he was up there. The booze. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The booze pushed him to do With it. His Meanwhile, ag- aggressive big- clapping as he's on stage. <laughs> big boys trying to be nice. I know we in New York. <laughs> Not Andre, though. (laughs) Nope. He wanted nothing to do with it at all. All right. So actually, when I was just reading some stuff about them and uh, I was looking up their Wikipedia page, their album sales for Southern Playlistic increased after (laughs) the Source Awards. (laughs) Hey, as it should, because you have the people who probably hadn't heard of them yet and were like, all right, let me check it out. If the New Yorkers hate them, I want to see what they're about because I want to like them just to be antagonistic. So I can see that. Okay, so two years after that, we get A.T. Elliens, 1996. This sounds way more polished than the first album. You could tell they've already grown. Right. And I have an analogy after we get to the next album. Kind of like I said that Mary J. Blige's first albums are like the Chicago Bulls second three-peat. I have another analogy to tie to the first three Outkast albums as well. Is it another basketball analogy? It is not. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a basketball analogy. It's just a life analogy. Okay. Okay. I shall wait (laughs) to hear this. But in terms of ATLians, it was like you said, sonically, it sounded a lot like the first album, but like they've added to it. The themes of the album are completely different, Mm -hmm. though. Lyrically, they're not talking about just hanging out, smoking weed, whatever 18 year olds were doing at the time in 1994. That's what the first album was. Second album basically is them just saying, "Okay, let's do some George Clinton P-Funk type Mm -hmm. stuff and create these characters and whatnot and move forward that way and that's basically what this album is you got electronic music influence gospel reggae it's just a lot more mature and more well-rounded than Mm -hmm. the first album definitely even though it has this sort of old school funk sound there's something very futuristic about it yeah and i don't know if because they basically named it like atlanta aliens It definitely has this otherworldly sound. And it was definitely intentional. I'm not sure of how they came up with the concept. If they were just looking at some old parliament records and was like, you know what? George used to fly around in a spaceship. Mm -hmm. Maybe we should try something like that. Or if it just came organically where they just decided, okay, we're going to talk about some futuristic type stuff other than trying to stick with 1996, was it, I believe? Let's talk about the year 3000, which is where he came up with the name Andre 3000 from because he wanted to be that far ahead lyrically from everyone else. So I really don't know what their end goal was, but Mm -hmm. I'm glad they did it because just hearing the first single Elevators was like, okay, this is not anything like a Southern Playlistic album that I was expecting. Like lyrically, they're talking about everyday shit. You got Andre talking about how people coming up to him in the mall asking how much money he got and all this. I was like, man, I'm broke just like you. We ain't making no money and stuff like that. You live that. check to check. I live beat to beat. <laughs> yeah. If you don't move your feet, then I don't eat. So we like neck and neck. Yeah. But there is still the very strong Southern sound, Southern roots. There's yeah. still very Atlanta, two dope boys in a Cadillac. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like that's how you open the album. In terms of the ATLians album, I'm not sure if anybody else still has one of these, but I have an ATLians keychain. 
Yes, you do. That I've had since the album came out. Because if you bought the single, you got the keychain. Ooh, you fancy. <laughs> Just like when we were talking about the Source Awards and the commercials that they were running, there was one that was running like this as well. It was like, if you buy the first Outcast single, you get an ATL keychain. Mm-hmm. So it was like, I need that. <laughs> I got to go get it. So first day it came out, ran to the warehouse, bought it, got my ATL keychain, and I still have it to this day. You do. I was trying to see if I could see it from here, but I can't. No, it's not over there. It's in the other bag in the closet. Ah, okay. Put away for safekeeping. Yeah, but I will post a photo of it on the gram so people can see it. There is a song on here that fits with the melodic misogyny (laughs) expression. Yes, there is. Which is the reason why you told me this term is because I started to talk to you about it and you said, nope. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to tell you it. this term and then save the rest for the pod. <laughs> yes. Jazzy Bell. Yes, Jazzy Bell. I'll wait until I get to <laughs> after the third album to wrap all this yeah. up because I have something to say about this song specifically. So you can go ahead and say what you have to say. I was just going to say, sonically, it's very pleasing to the ear. But it is. the whole song, I mean, the song's called Jazzy Bell, which is a playoff of Jezebel, right. which is basically telling women how to act. Yeah. <laughs> In <laughs> <Essentially>. short. <laughs> and then for the video and radio edit, you get Babyface singing the hook, too. So that just added to it. Yeah. Tricking people into thinking that they're listening to something, but it's the opposite. Yeah, it definitely is. Like, <laughs> there was one line I wrote down with Andre said, I hate thinking that these, the future mamas of our children, fucking every... <laughs> And word every time they get the feeling to it. It's like, these women are sleeping with y'all. So if they're <laughs> right. Je- Jezebel's, then what does that make you? But <laughs> this is age old misogyny that we are still hearing yeah. today. But sonically, it's pleasing to the ear. And I still like the song. But this is definitely what you would call melodic yeah. misogyny. <laughs> And it's funny that you point out that Andre said that because people tend to think him and Big Boy are completely different and they're not. Like you look at Andre and the way he dresses on stage and think that he's saying something that he isn't. No, it's like, no, he's saying pretty much the same thing Big Boy is, but just in a slightly different way. A couple lines earlier, he said something about queens, like from hoes to queens or something. But it's like, no, he's still he's still doing the same thing. Big boy, he's still (laughs) shaming women for having sex. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, I still love the song and it's different as you get older. It is what it is, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) So what is your favorite song off of this album? On this album, my favorite song is Wailing. Wailing. Okay. Yeah, it's short. It's only like two and a half minutes long, one verse each, and they just get in and get out. It's my favorite. I was struggling with this one as well. I really love mainstream. And then you also get some goodie mob with that too. It was hard for me to pick because I also really love Wheels of Steel. And the two songs are so different from each other because yeah. one is faster, it's up tempo, and then mainstream is just like kind of glides along. <laughs> right. So I didn't choose. <laughs> That's not fair. I'm putting you on the spot then you have to choose right now if i have to choose i think what makes me really like mainstream is mostly the beat whereas wheels of steel i like the beat but i also love how andre and big boy they have that sort of back and forth rhyming cadence Mm -hmm. in this song that kind of reminds me of groups like run dmc where they had that sort of almost like Mm -hmm. a call and response where they passed the mic back and forth like it was reminiscent of sort of that style and i really liked how they kind of played off each other and then it had that futuristic Alien sound too yeah. so overall I think this one had more elements of stuff that I liked rather okay. than mainstream was like oh this sounds nice <laughs> <laughs>
So we've mentioned what we liked about this album. So let's move on to the third album, Equimini. Basically, Equimini was a response to people's response to them doing AT Aliens. Like they have a couple skits where they mention it and a couple lyrics and a few songs where they mention how people are criticizing them for the way they're dressing. The content isn't what they saw or heard on the first album. What the hell is wrong with these dudes? I think one of the guys on the Pimp Trick Gangsta Click skit when he's like first they were some pimps and now they some aliens and genies i don't mess with them dudes but <laughs> so it was a lot of confusion on the direction of the group but at the same time every single album has been different to this point and we didn't know this at the time just with their entire career because we are at the halfway point right now but everything they did was going to be different than the one before and this is just another example of that this album to me sounds even more experimental at aliens even though i said it kind of brought in this new sort of almost futuristic sound equimini sounds even more experimental than that yeah. and a little bit more different than what we were used to hearing in hip-hop and especially at this time so this is 1998 this yeah. is heavy bad boy the mix of yeah. the shiny suit era yep yeah. bad boy shiny suit era lots of diana ross samples yeah and- <laughs> It's basically the bling bling era Yes, is yeah. what it is. Mm-hmm. Bottles being popped, diamonds everywhere. This is what we're in the middle of. But here's my analogy uh-huh. that I was going to tell you about. So the first three albums, to me, read like this. Again, because we are the same age. I was going through these same stages as they are. Mm-hmm. The Southern Playalistic album is like the summer after high school graduation. Right. They were about 18 when it was released. So yeah. they're probably like 16, 17 when they started yeah, so this is the summer after high school, before you go away to college. You're not doing much. You're laying around, hanging out with your friends, smoking <laughs> weed, which is why the album sounds the way it yeah. does. You move forward two years and you're listening to AT Aliens. These are the kids who have gone off to college. They've been in school for two years. Their minds are a little bit more open, so they learn some stuff. Mm-hmm. They think they know everything, but they don't. Like you like to say all the time, they have, I just took this class energy. So that's what AT Aliens is. Mm -hmm. Two years after that, which would be a full collegiate cycle, Mm -hmm. if you're going for four years, this is them about to graduate, move out into the world as adults. So you do have, like you mentioned on the last album, some of their hotep leanings (laughs) on Jazzy Bell and a couple other songs. So again, that sounds like somebody who who's been on campus for two years and hearing a lot of influences and then going home. They've just figured out how to have discourse on feminism, right? (laughs) Exactly. So they go (laughs) home and try and school their friends (laughs) on what they've learned. And Equimini is all of that coming together. They're not as silly as they were second year, Mm. but they're still not the adults that they're going to grow into. But it's kind of shaping. You can see where they're headed with this album. And I kind of look at it as their graduation, so to speak. Makes sense. And it also makes sense in terms of just literally how old they were. Yeah, (laughs) that's how I came up with it. Because it's like I was in school in those years that they were developing these ideas. I wasn't developing these hotep leaning ideas. But I can relate to some of that, like you learning things about the world in general that you weren't getting in high school. And also at this point, their first two albums were critically acclaimed. The way I looked at it was very similar to our Mary J. Blige discussion, where to me, it followed the same path as hers, where What's the 411 was like, here's who I am. It's a great album, but it's lacking a little polish. It's a little raw. And then you get to the second album, which for Mary was My Life and for Outkast is AT Aliens. Now you're 
you're polished. You're a little more sure of yourself. Yeah. And to me, AT Aliens is Mary's My Life. Like, it's my favorite Outcast album. Okay. And for pretty much the same reasons, you still have what you loved about Outcast, but a little bit more polished. Whereas for Equemini, I liked the album, but overall, I didn't like it as much okay. as AT Aliens. I don't know if maybe just the sound being a little bit more experimental just kind of started to go into that not for me category. Right. But there are Definite songs that are favorites. Okay. Which, you, tell. you know, Spodioti Dopelicious, yes. of course. Mm-hmm. The horns are irreplaceable. <laughs> <laughs> and I also love how, you know, no matter how much they grow and experience new things, they're still country as hell. Where <laughs> Big Boy was like, her neck was smelling sweeter than a plate of yams with extra syrup. <laughs> That's pretty country. It is. <laughs> and I also really like Skewed on the Barbie. You get a little Raekwon in there, so... That merges a couple different styles and artists right. that I like as well. So those two, and I really like the art of storytelling was also really good too. So there's still definitely standout singles. Right. But overall as an album, it wasn't bad for me. But I just didn't like it as much as the previous one. It's funny you say that because this is their five mic album. Oh. This is the one that got five mics. The rest of them didn't because on Skew It on the Barbie, Big Boy actually mentions that the source needs to give them their extra half a mic for Southern Playlistic. <laughs> so uh, so they're like, all right. <laughs> yeah, so here you go. Five mics right here. <laughs> now that we've talked about the songs and whatnot, what is your favorite song on the album? Well, again, you this, have to choose. this was a hard decision again, as I mentioned. My two faves was Skewed on the Barbie and Spody Odie Doublicious. <laughs> I had to go with that in the end because those horns. Yeah. I was whistling it all afternoon, <laughs> actually. I don't know if you heard me. I, I didn't think you had your headphones on, but I never get tired of it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that would have been my choice. Mm-hmm. But that's the obvious choice, I think. So yeah, instead yeah, of yeah, that, yeah, I'm yeah, going yeah. with The Art of Storytelling Part 2. Oh, Part 2. Part 2. Mm, I had Part 1 on my short list. I like Part 1. It's okay. It's a little too upbeat. Whereas this one is just like, all right, let's go. When you were telling me to pick one favorite song beforehand when we were prepping and stuff, it was really hard for me to pick one just because, you know, there's a bunch that I like. But I think, which we'll get into a little bit more soon, but I think this sort of the crossover appeal that happens very soon. Yeah. <laughs> it almost tainted my decision as you were saying, you know, <laughs> it's like there's an obvious choice. Right. Oh, this is the song that everybody likes, yeah. right? And there's a part of me, you know, that hip hop, hip hop part of me that's like, <laughs> I don't want to pick what everyone else likes. Well, so I know. I, I wasn't going to go that far. I know. But I, I had to really think about it. It's like, forget about what everybody else likes or what everyone thinks you're supposed to like. When I was trying to pick a song, I'm like, what do I like? Right. right? If if I didn't know what anybody else liked, yeah. what do I like? And so it's funny that that made it a little bit harder for me to actually decide. As we go into the next album, this is where there's this strange split yeah. between Outcast fans. Like two groups emerge. Yeah. And it's obvious too. Mm-hmm. When the line in the sand is drawn when it comes to Outcast fans, there are fans pre-Stankonia. And there are fans who are post-Stankonia. And very seldom do those two mix. (laughs) 
So Stankonia was released in 2000. And I think the year that it was released is also really important in terms of creating maybe this new crop of fans because 97, 98 was kind of the start of hip hop becoming mainstream. Yeah. So before we go into more detail about these two different groups of fans, let's talk about the album. Let's do it. I think you told me, but I can't remember. What is the significance of them saying break between the different songs? <laughs> well, there isn't a real significance. Okay. But it's just basically when you're in a huddle, a football team, you always say break oh. coming out of the huddle. It's like you huddle up, you get to play. All right, break. Okay. <laughs> but in this context with them doing it, it's just funny. Okay. I remember us having a discussion about this before, but I couldn't remember if there was some significance to it. If there is, there, I don't know what it is. Yeah. I just think it's hilarious that they do it because some of the skits that it follows up, it's so out of place when it happens. Like the I'm cool. She's just, I'm cool. Yeah. I'm cool. I'm cool. And then he just yells, bitch, stay off that blow. Yeah. Break. Yeah. <laughs> Every time. It makes no sense. It doesn't, but it's hilarious to me. <laughs> Well, it's funny with your analogy about how the boys are growing up, basically. They may be growing up, but there are some things that... Stay the same. Stay the same. (laughs) I will mention this one last time with the melodic misogyny. We love these hoes. (laughs) From the fake nails to the... Toes. We love these hoes. (laughs) (laughs) We love these hoes. It's a catchy little tune. It is. Makes you just want to bop along to it. And then there's your favorite interlude. Say hello, Cookie. Hello. (laughs) I love that. I love it. We start off after just an intro and then we get into Gasoline Dreams. It starts off with a bang, I would say. It's not my favorite song off the album, but it definitely starts off with a bang. Because for the fourth time in a row, you start the album and you're listening to it like, what the hell is this? Because it doesn't sound like the last one. And just continuing their pattern of, like I said, current when sounding different than the last. Even though there's some elements that tie them together, just Gasoline Dreams itself doesn't sound like anything else they've done up to that point. Right. Another thing that I really like about revisiting these albums is... I'm also reminded of new artists that I was exposed to listening to them. Okay. Like Killer Mike is in one song and Goody Mob on the previous albums. So, you know, they're bringing other people on. So it's nice to be able to like discover new artists through your favorite artists. Right. And I think that kind of goes to what we were saying before, where they were sort of helping the self expand their reach. And it wasn't only them in terms of them pushing the sound and the style. It was pretty much everybody in the Dungeon family. Like, Goody Mob, Killer Mike, all of them. Joy, Cool Breeze. Cool Breeze. Watch for the Hook is one of the greatest rap songs of yes. all time. That's a great song. It is. And he doesn't get the, the credit that he deserves. And if anybody is listening and you want to challenge me on this, <laughs> Cool Breeze was the original T.I. Listen to his first album right. and then look at the career of T.I., Clifford Harris, and <laughs> tell me that. Big Red Dog. <laughs> <laughs> and tell me that it wasn't formed around the cool breeze out. All right. I will listen to his first album and get back to you. All right. Do that. <laughs> so as an old Outkast fan, I don't really understand what was it about this album that made them mainstream. Some songs you can totally tell they're trying to cater to a larger audience. Yeah. But with Outkast, like it's not like Pitbull right? where, <laughs> you know, Mr. 305 and Mr. Worldwide are two totally different <laughs> right. artists. Right. Whereas Outkast, despite growing in their sound, they're always Outkast, though. 
Well, I guess because you were here in Canada, and I don't know if they were showing TRL here in Canada, uh, but this album remember. came out a couple months before TRL premiered. So just that in itself, if you had a halfway decent song and a good video, and this time mm-hmm. you could blow up, like because this was still a time when music channels were still showing music videos. So you had TRL and the shows on BET, basically. Basically, everything that Viacom was owning at the time mm-hmm. uh, was basically just churning out these videos yeah. over and over again. And with this album, the biggest one was Miss Jackson. Like that caught on for whatever reason. I think it's because of the hook. It's catchy. You can sing along to it. Yeah. The song has elements of the wedding march. So it's a familiar song. Right. So all those things just kind of tied mm-hmm. into them blowing up at this point. Actually, I was in San Jose at this time. I lived there for a year. And so I don't remember. I'm sure they were showing it on much music. Right. So I'm sure it was big in Canada, too. And also, like I said, the time it was 2000. This was when hip hop in general was just becoming mainstream. But my niece was I think she was maybe seven years old at the time. She heard me listening to the song and she asked me, is he talking about Janet Jackson? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> See, everybody has something they can relate to. Yeah. <laughs> she thought it was Janet Jackson. Other people were drawn to the hook. You have the Here Comes the Bride playing. Mm-hmm. So there were things for people to pull right. from to give them, okay, this is the song that I like. And then the video was pretty entertaining. It was shot very well. And then you got Andre giving you the forever, ever, forever, yes. ever. So That's things like line. that. It's catchy. Yeah. So between that and just the Technicolor explosion of the bombs over Baghdad video, Mm -hmm. I think that's the reason why they were able to cross over like that. And so fresh and so clean. That too, because that has another hook that you can just sing along to. So just that itself is basically what pushed them over. It was the videos and the easy accessible hooks, even though they didn't intentionally set out to do that. So I can see why. Yeah. Even as a, a longtime Outcast fan, I can see it. So what's your favorite song off of Stankonia? On this album, I'm going to go with Spaghetti Junction for the reasons that you said on a previous album. They kind of go back and forth, mm. kind of like a Run DMC style mm-hmm. where one person starts the verse, second one comes in, and they just go back and forth. So that one's my favorite. All right. Without letting the TRL crowd cloud my judgment, <laughs> you know what? So fresh, so clean. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, that's my second favorite. And I just like the back and forth on Spaghetti Junction. Yeah. That's all. Although, uh, runner up, I love Bombs Over Baghdad for running. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because it's the exact cadence that I have when I, well, I'm not a very good runner. So that's like fast <laughs> for me. Plus I have short legs. So <laughs> I, I take like three strides per year one or something. <laughs> so let's say I was running for 20 minutes. I would put Bombs Over Baghdad at the 15 minute mark because I would start to get tired and as soon as it came on i knew it was time to go that last push (laughs) two stories about bombs over baghdad two quick stories uh the first is the first time i ever heard bombs over baghdad was in kushadasi turkey i get into a taxi and (laughs) this taxi driver obviously whenever there's a black person around in turkey they decide to call them jiggy jiggy because i was the (laughs) jiggy jiggy man everywhere i went it must have been getting jiggy was it yeah, was it, out at the time. Will it had Smith. been out. So any black person they saw was a jiggy jiggy man. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> I, I just gave up on fighting it. It was like, you know what? I'm just going to take it. Anyway, as soon as I get in the cab, first thing he wants to do is play this new outcast song that he has. <laughs> 
you heard this? He's like, no, what is this? He's like, outcast. And he puts it in. I'm like, oh shit, what is this? All right. So me and this cab driver just bopping down the street, listening to bombs over Baghdad. In Turkey. In Turkey. Actually, I'm going to keep the second story until we get to the end. Because okay. we're going to talk about their last tour. The next album is technically two albums, Speaker yeah. Box and The Love Below. Yes. So I think they originally were going to do solo albums or something, and then they decided to make it a double album, but yeah. kind of Big Boy focused on the first and Andre focused on the second. Originally, like you said, they were supposed to be each doing a solo album and also working on the movie at the same time, yeah. which became Idlewild. Right. It was originally called Speaker Box. So that's why when you watch the movie, a lot of the songs from speaker box are in the movie okay so let's start with the speaker box portion first i think the last no skip album for me was at aliens right but i still think this was solid overall there's a bunch of stuff that i like standouts for me were the way you move and ghetto music that's my favorite off of this portion yeah i love the mixture of that up tempo and then you kind of cut to patty labelle <laughs> right. real smooth chorus and the video is hilarious it is he pretends to be basically ups driver but it's called FedEx. Fed. Oh yeah, yeah, FedEx. Because in the video, it's called Fed Up yeah. instead. The My other favorite thing. part is when he drives by the trap house. And he's like, "Y'all gonna jump me?" <laughs> he just fuck your box and kicks it and runs off. You know what's funny? I just noticed on this last watch of the video when he's driving the truck, he's wearing his Fed Up uniform, right? But when he's delivering the boxes, he's got a different outfit on for each house. Yeah. <laughs> Except for when he's going to the trap house, he's got his Fed Up uniform. I guess he wants them to know, like, I am just delivering a box. <laughs> But I love that when he goes to Patty LaBelle's house, he delivers a big boy grill to her and she cooks him up a meal, of course. <laughs> this one, actually, it was easy to pick a favorite ghetto music. For okay. Me. Uh, same for me. Ghetto music is my favorite song on this album. But with this album, you could draw a line from their very first album mm-hmm. to Speaker Box and see that continuation. Like it was basically following the same formula, sounding different than Stankonia, yet sounding familiar to the rest of the world. The only difference is there's very little Andre on it. He's on two songs on Speaker Box, but he produced a couple of them. So he was around. They hadn't completely diverged the outcast work, but that is my favorite song. Ghetto music. Ghetto music. I'm really disappointed in the fact that there's a Jay-Z verse on this album and Andre ain't on it. Mm. <laughs> that bothers me. The yeah. first two outcast Jay-Z songs, Andre's not on either one of them. Like there are other songs that they end up being on together down the road, but not on an outcast album or a Jay-Z album. It's always Killer Mike and Big Boy. Right. That one's a pretty good song, too. If only Andre 3000 was on it. Yeah. <laughs> Although I like popping tags on Jay-Z's album better, I'm okay with Flip Flop Rock. It's cool. So now we move on to the second disc, Andre 3000's turn, The Love Below. Yep. I think it's hilarious how it starts off because I couldn't help but think of a lounge lizard. (laughs) I could just see like, you know, a piano. They're in a jazz club. People are snapping their fingers. It's like that (laughs) SNL skit we saw a couple weeks ago. Right. (laughs) That kind of cadence. If the previous albums made you say, what is this? Hearing the intro and the first song is really like, what is this? Yeah. What's going on here? 
this lounge lizard, like, is Liza Minnelli going to pop up? <laughs> right. I think it's funny that people were thinking Andre was weird three albums before yeah. this just because of what he decided to wear. But the music stayed the same. And now he's basically trying to be everything all on one album. Like you said, he's trying to be a lounge singer. Uh, he's trying to be Prince. He's trying to be Prince. I, I wrote down that he's the dollar store version of Prince on this Aww. album. But anybody would be. Nobody can compare yeah, to Prince. Yeah, there's so. only one Prince. Yeah, it, it's not a jab at Andre, but it's like nobody yeah. can do that. And he was just like, fuck rap. Yeah. He basically sang... Pretty much the whole thing, right? Uh, the majority, the majority of, it. of it. Like, there's some verses on some of the songs. Yeah. Like, Happy Valentine's Day, he right. raps a verse on there. What else is he rapping on? A couple more. Yeah, but it's mostly singing. Yeah, and then he closes the album with just basically a yep. stream of consciousness yep. rap that he didn't finish. Because his day isn't over yet. It yes. isn't. <laughs> <laughs> so the interesting thing about this album is it's still an outcast album. Yeah. Even though they've split it into two, basically made two solo albums into mm-hmm. one. So the two big songs off of this was The Way You Move. Yep. And of course, Hey Y'all, God Damn It, as mm-hmm. Andre likes to say. When I was watching the videos on YouTube, the comments for The Way You Move was, oh, you know, I love this Outcast song. This is my favorite Outcast song. Outcast, Outcast, Outcast. But when I was looking at the comments for Hey Ya, it was Andre 3000 is the best. Andre 3000. Yeah. Three stacks, three stacks. And it's so weird. It is. That this... Again, the second wave of Outcast fans. I don't understand why they completely disregard Big Boy. Uh, it's not only new Outcast fans. Mm-hmm. A lot of older ones do it too. But it's not as blatant. They'll acknowledge Big Boy is there, but they say that Big Boy isn't as good a rapper as Andre, which is not true. And even Andre says that Big Boy is a better rapper than he is. But they're still like my two favorite of all yeah. time. So it's one A and one B. I just think of them too much as a duo that for me, I can't say one is better than the other. Yeah. I just like them both together. And everything up until this album has been very equal between the two of them. It wasn't like, you know, Andre was always featured more significantly or, you know, Big Boy was always the one in the spotlight. They had always been a duo up to this point. And so it's weird that on the Big Boy side, people are still like, outcast, outcast, outcast. But on the Andre side, I don't know if maybe because the sound was such a different departure that I would think so. You just like the Love Below sounds more like a solo album. Yeah, because the only song that he's on is Roses. So for the most part, he's disappeared from the, the Love Below side of the album. And then Andre goes even a little bit further into sort of, I guess, mainstream sensibilities, which I don't think was his intention. I think he was just experimenting. But this more of singing Prince vibe, I think, makes it a little easier for non-rap fans or people who don't really listen to hip hop that heavy to to really like him. And then he has the song with Nora Jones. So I can see why, in a way, more mainstream audience would gravitate towards him. But the fact that he's still attached to Big Boy just makes it weird (laughs) that like outcast all of a sudden becomes Andre 3000. Yeah. Well, it's because of how big Hey Ya blew up, basically. So my favorite song, even though, (laughs) as you said, Dollar Store Prince, I really love (laughs) She Lives in My Lap. Yeah, that is Dollar Store Prince right there. It is, but it's my favorite song off of The Love Below, but I don't know if this is another hot take, and I've said that before, and it ends up being a lukewarm take. Okay. 
But to me, this is Andre's worst output. This is what I like the least from Andre Thousand. That's not a, a hot take, okay. I don't think. <laughs> I think that's pretty much the consensus. Yeah. Is like, this is the worst stuff that he's done, but it's not bad. No, it's not bad, but I'm just like, nah. I think this is the point where we've grown apart. Yeah. Like, this just, it's not for me. It's not going to be the first thing I put on. Yeah. It's not going to be the second thing I put on. Like, there are a couple songs on here that I actually do like. But for the most part, I look at this as someone who was just bored and wanted to see what he could get away with. And I don't think he intentionally set out to make pop hits. Yeah, I don't think so either. It's just somebody who has, I've done everything I can in rap because he started sprinkling in the singing two albums prior. Is like, okay, I've done that. I've sung on a couple songs. I've been real melodic. What else can I do? <laughs> like hip hop bores me. So what else can I do and still put music out? Yeah. Well, I wanted to mention how Hey Ya and The Way You Move charted on the Hot 100, which is like, you know, your general list right. on Billboard and the R&B and hip hop. Just yeah. to solidify what we've been talking about with the two sets of audiences. So Hey Ya on the Hot 100, it peaked at number one and it was on the charts for 32 weeks. But on the Hot R&B Hip Hop songs, it peaked at only number nine. Yeah. And it was on the charts for 21 weeks. And The Way You Move, number one on the Hot 100 for 39 weeks. One week. It was number two behind Hey Ya. Yes. For eight weeks. Mm-hmm. And then it finally knocked Hey Ya to number two. Okay. And then that went to number one because it was the sixth time that an artist had knocked themselves out of the number right. one spot. So that I do remember. And then on the R&B hip hop, it peaked at number two. So that one wasn't too much different. But I'm also not surprised that the way you moved, the way it charted on the Hot 100 versus the R&B hip hop wasn't too much different because yeah. that one still has sort of a more classic hip hop outcast sound. Yeah. Whereas, hey, yeah, <laughs> it doesn't. That's add. not really. And I don't know if my view of hey, yeah, is tainted because uh, Andre 3000 has such obvious disdain for it. <laughs> hey, yeah, God damn it. And he's performing it with his back to the audience and stuff. <laughs> So it wasn't even in my short list when I was trying to decide right. what song was my favorite. And it's not that I hate the song. I do like it, but I hear it. I'm like, eh. <laughs> I've never liked it from day one. I've never liked that song. But you know, what's interesting is in 2001, they were nominated for album of the year for Stankonia, yep. um, but they didn't win. They did win best rap album. Yes. But as we were saying that album was kind of like the start of their mainstream mm -hmm. success. And then in 2003, they are the only rap artists to ever win album of the year. And that was Speaker Box, The Love Below. And of course, it was mostly Hey Ya yeah. that kind of pushed to that. And even till now, so this was 2003, there has been no other rap artist to win album of the year. Technically, a rapper has won album of the year before because Lauryn Hill won for the Miseducation of Lauryn Hill in 1998, but it was classified as an R&B album. Lost Ones, I think she won some kind of like rap category yeah. for, just for that song, but the album itself was classified as R&B. So technically we had a rapper win right. album of the year before. And there were other rappers that were nominated. Eminem for the Marshall Mathers, Kanye's Late Registration and Graduation. Kendrick Lamar was nominated for all of his albums. Drake's Views and Scorpion as well, but no other rap group or artist has ever won yet. Taylor Swift has won three times. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. 
Yeah. So it's interesting that no matter how popular hip hop gets, the only time a rap hip hop artist wins just the general album of the year category is basically for a song that isn't as traditionally hip hop. Yeah. And it's basically not what they're known for at all. It isn't. (laughs) Like Like, if you've never heard of Outkast before, that would not be even in the top 10 songs that I would recommend you listen to, right? So I don't know. It's just interesting how this works sometimes. Because Grammy voters are just old. They're old. They're stuck in their ways. Uh Hey, y'all was everywhere. Uh So obviously it has to be the greatest album of the year, right? That's their logic and thinking because you have some Grammy voters that don't even listen to a lot of the albums. That goes for most award shows. Right, like Like the Oscars. Oscars, Golden Globes, all that stuff. You really don't look or consume everything. You find what you like and, oh, I've heard of this. It's good. I'm voting for that. So what is your favorite song off of the Love Below? I think it's an easy answer and you can probably figure out what I'm going to say. I'll let you guess. What do you think my favorite song is on this album? Um, Let me look at the, <laughs> let me look at the songs again. You go through the list and it should be an obvious answer just based on the, the conversation that we've had about the album up to this point. Hmm. Is it obvious? I think so. Happy Valentine's Day. (laughs) No. Although that would be number two for the exact same reason my first choice is because he's actually rapping on this song, A Day in the Life of Benjamin. Oh, yeah. Yes. That's the one. You know what? I didn't write it on my list. (laughs) That is the one. So obvious. That is obvious. Yes. Yep. For you. So moving on to the next album, we're going to talk about Idlewild, which is not quite a soundtrack and it's not quite an outcast album either. It's in a weird space for for me because it was supposed to be a lot of the songs on the soundtrack, but half of them aren't even in the movie. And the other half of the songs that are in the movie are from Speaker Box and Love Below. So it fits into this weird space. Almost like the world doesn't even acknowledge that it's an outcast album. So what are your thoughts on Idlewild? I think I might be that person you were just talking about because since we had just watched the movie, I didn't listen to the album. I was like, oh, we just watched the movie. If I miss a couple songs, no big deal, right? Yeah. But then when I was re-listening to Speaker Box, I was like, oh, half of the songs are on this (laughs) album. So I didn't listen to it because as I was saying, we had already watched the movie. So I figured why listen to the same songs again? Yeah, it's basically half of it isn't even in the movie. And all the stuff that I like wasn't in the movie. Like basically this album is an extension of Speaker Box and Love Below where there's half the songs have big boy on it the other half have andre on it Mm. and there's three that have them on them together so it's continuing that same thing essentially idlewild could be tacked on to speaker box love below as the third disc if you wanted to because it fits pretty much the same thing it's not really a full outcast album more like two solo albums put together yeah so i can't give you a favorite song off this album (laughs) i didn't listen to it I will choose one for you. How about that? Because you have heard the movie or you watched the movie the other day. For you, I'm going to choose. You can have Morris Brown, the one that we watched the video yesterday. Mm -hmm. I can. I will give that up as my selection. (laughs) I'll accept. To give to you as your selection for the best (laughs) song in Idlewild or your favorite song in Idlewild. And I will take my runner up choice, which is Mighty O. Okay. So 
I'm going to take that as my choice. It's my <laughs> favorite song on Idlewild because I was going back and forth between the two. And this one actually has both of them on it. So I'm going to go with Mighty O as my favorite on this album. I will say, even though I didn't listen to the album, I really enjoyed our rewatch of the, <laughs> the movie. I actually enjoyed it more than I remember I enjoyed it. Yeah, I it's more entertaining to watch now. And I thought it was really bad the first time I watched it. But this time I was like, you know what? It's not that bad. I don't really. I've seen worse. <laughs> I don't really remember exactly what I thought about it the first time, but it wasn't that memorable. Right. When we rewatched it. I was like, I really like this. Yeah, the ending was kind of shaky, but the rest of the movie was pretty entertaining. Yeah, I enjoyed I it. it. And of course, a lot of our other faves were in the movie as well. <laughs> yeah, Ving Rhames yep. and Paula J. Paula Parker. J. Parker's in it, on Love. Yep. And of course, Terrence Howard. Amen. And before it even came on, you were trying to remember if he said it in the movie. And then halfway through, he finally did. You know, it's in his contract. To- that he's got a conk and he's going to say main yep. at some point. You know what's funny about him always saying main is when we were doing the Lorenz Tate episode, I had in my notes... Uh, I can't remember now which movie. Oh, in Dead Presidents. Yeah. I couldn't remember his name off the top of my head and I wrote down Maine. <laughs> I was like, I'll figure out his name later. But in my notes, that's what his name that's is. That's funny. <laughs> Maine. Yeah. So I would definitely recommend watching the movie if you haven't or you haven't in a while because it was a fun watch. Yeah, it was pretty entertaining. Mm-hmm. Now that we've pretty much gone through their discography as a group. Let's talk a little bit about this bracket that we saw on Twitter at the beginning of this panoramic. Yes, let me pull it up. Kept us entertained when we thought this was going to be a, you know, a couple month thing. (laughs) (laughs) So it was created by Chris Long, who I'm told by you is a football player. (laughs) Yes. Well, not anymore, but he used to be. Him and And, uh, George Foster, both. They both played in the NFL for years. Yeah. So there's too many songs for us to go through. So if you want to follow along with this bracket, check our Instagram account at Troy Podcast so that you can see the full lineup and feel free to pick your own bracket and let us know. What songs you would have chosen as Outcasts best song they had also ran polls on twitter so that people could vote and there were major upsets yes some that make no sense and it goes (laughs) back to what we were talking about earlier you can see the split between pre-stankonia outcast fans and Mm post-stankonia outcast fans because some of these songs should in no way be voted better than some of the songs that they beat yeah so we're just gonna talk about our final four yep But before we get to that, you know what also helped drive the upset was in the first round, they put Skew It on the Barbie against Hey Ya. Right. You know what's going to happen. Yes. Like Skew It on the Barbie should not be knocked (laughs) out in the first round. Especially against Hey Ya. Yeah. But that just goes to show what we were saying earlier. So that didn't help in terms of (laughs) the split and the fans being very upset. (laughs) And then they also put Miss Jackson against West Savannah. So it was going to win that one easily. Right. But then now Miss Jackson, if you picked that, the other one was two dope boys that ended up being matched up. So that's going to knock out two dope boys way too early, too. So because some of these more mainstream hits were stacked up against some pre-Stankonia fan favorites early on, that created a big upset and really skewed the results in the end. Yeah, so (laughs) it's 
uh, just like the NCAA bracket, 64 songs. Each has their own region of 16. Narrow it down to your final four and eventually your quote unquote champion. I'm going to say the this isn't the best outcast song just because of the way the brackets were spread right. out it just happens to be the ones that won this particular setting and matchup because the one i chose as my winner i don't think is the best outcast song it just happens to be the ones that beat the ones right. in its path i found this way harder than i thought it was gonna be oh yeah it was hard it really upset me and my homegirls <laughs> having to knock out so many of my faves okay so what was your final four my final four were Equimini, Southern Playlist of Cadillac Music, Elevators, and Spodiote Dopalicious. We had a very different final four. Okay. My final four on the left side, which they split it up as South DeKalb Mall and Greenbrier Mall, was Players Ball versus Two Dope Boys. Okay. And then on the other side, Lennox Mall and South Lake Mall, I have International Players Anthem versus Spodiote Dopalicious. Okay. That's my final four. All right. And since I went first the first time, you go first this time and tell me which are the winners of those two brackets. So this was super hard. I ended up picking Players Ball over two dope boys. I think Nostalgia won here. Okay. Because I, it was really hard. I listened to it back and forth so many times because I love two dope boys. So Players Ball won that side. And then on the other side, I knocked out International Players Anthem because it's technically not an outcast song. It's a UGK song. That's why I didn't choose it. Yeah. So even letting it advance felt like I was cheating, but I was like, I love it. It's a classic, right? But it's allowable up against Spodioti. You know, it was an easy decision on that side. Now, between these two, again, was extremely hard Okay, because I love both of them so much. But I ended up picking Players Ball again. I think it just might be nostalgia. It's like the one song, the first song I heard from them. And as you were saying, just the way the brackets were kind of lined up, a lot of things that I would have liked to advance just didn't get a chance to advance because of what they were stacked up against. So I ended up with Players Ball. That's funny. I actually had Players Ball out in the round of 16. So the Sweet 16, they were done. Because as you know, because I've been trying to find this damn song for years now mm. Benz or Beamer is probably my favorite outcast song but just based on these brackets I didn't get it all the way down to the finals it's my favorite song but I think Equimini is better so that's how I ended up with Equimini mm-hmm. in the final four I had Benz or Beamer up against Players Ball yeah, me too. And I had it advancing past okay. Players Ball. Yeah, well, obviously I didn't. <laughs> I picked Players Ball, but okay. So yeah, I can see that being a hard decision. It was, but I went with Equimini over Benz or Beamer. Yeah, that was, it was very hard for me to knock out Equimini. And so that puts Equimini and Southern Playlistic up against each other. I'm going with Southern Playlistic just because that song had me almost moving to Atlanta. so i was ready to pack up and go to school at clark atlanta university after hearing southern playlist of cadillac (laughs) music so that's why i chose that over equimini and on the other side with elevators and spodiote dopalicious i went with elevators just because it being the first single on the second album and being so different than what they had done before that i just had to choose it and for the same reason that's my winner okay elevators and i'm okay with my decision okay <laughs> i had to knock out equimini because i picked ghetto music uh yeah i can see it because i i think i picked it off of which one evoked more emotion for me and every time i listened to ghetto music i was bopping in my seat <laughs> so 
but it was very hard. Yeah, this was an interesting lineup to yeah. choose from. Shall we post our results on the gram as well? Yeah, I was going to do that. Okay. So I... So people can argue with us? Yep. <laughs> please, please argue with us respectfully. <laughs> <laughs> or disrespectfully. I don't care. Bring it. <laughs> You're not going to change my mind on anything outcast. Yeah. So I think we'll post the links to the whole Twitter thread if you want to see how yeah. other people voted and all the upset comments from <laughs> including some from me yep when i looked up the hashtag who do i see the miguel show talking about <laughs> how did so and so get knocked out i can't remember which song it was now, i don't but. remember but i was in the comments the entire time they were doing it. <laughs> shall we wrap this up by talking about their 20th anniversary tour i think so and you finally got to see your favorite group in person i finally got to see them and it was quite a tale for us to actually get to see them because they announced that they were performing at coachella and at that point that was the only show so i'm trying to figure out how in the hell am i gonna get to coachella (laughs) (laughs) notice he said i'm not we i was unconcerned with (laughs) who else was going i was gonna be there and tickets being hard to get as they were couldn't get coachella tickets Mm -hmm. so i wasn't gonna fly home to california so i missed out after that was announced then it's like okay they're doing 20 cities throughout this summer to commemorate the 20 year anniversary it's like all right i'm gonna get to see outcast in one of these cities lo and behold they're coming to toronto for ovo fest it's like all right i'm going to see outcast at ovo fest so trying to get tickets it's a headache anybody who's out there trying to buy a concert tickets you know how much of a headache it is you gotta fight against these bots and every other human being trying to get these tickets we had like all of our devices open so many and being the huge outcast fan that i am i was not trying to sit up in the grassy area I'm trying to be as close to the stage as possible. I don't re- even remember where the tickets were that we ended up getting because I ended up buying tickets in the grassy area and I was going to sell those to upgrade to get the other tickets. <laughs> Just know that I had about six to eight tickets to OVO Fest that I didn't even want to go to, by the way, but I needed to see Outcast. So I've got all these tickets and then we find out, oh, they're going to be performing in Atlanta. Their hometown. Their hometown. Which is where we want to see them. <laughs> On a Friday night, I think it was August, sometime in the summer. So those OVO tickets went out the window. So I'm like, fuck the OVO. I'm going to see Outcast in, in Atlanta. Atlanta. So I buy these tickets and there's some damn good tickets. They weren't VIP or anything like that because those were all sold out. And then you find out, oh, they've added a second show. So now I have to buy tickets or <laughs> attempt to buy tickets to the Saturday night show. I end up getting those tickets. Mm-hmm. Then they announced they're doing a third show on Sunday night. So I was like, you know what? I have a feeling that the Sunday night show is going to be the best one. Because it's the last show. It's the last show. It's supposed to be the last show that they do on this run. We need to be at the Sunday night show. So luckily, we were able to get tickets to the Sunday night show. And not only that, we were able to get the VIP tickets Mm -hmm. to the Sunday night show. And they weren't even that expensive. They weren't expensive at all. And it was probably the best VIP experience we've had at any concert. Because we spent a lot more doing the VIP, the quote VIP 
experience for um, Made in America. Made in America. And it, it was, was terrible. Terrible. Horrible experience. It was so bad that we got money back for it. Yes. <laughs> Whereas the Outcast at last, which was the Atlanta run, we were fed. <laughs> yeah. They, there, was there was food. It was catered. Juice and drinks everywhere. There was drinks. There were lounge chairs. We could actually go to the bathroom when we actually needed <laughs> right. to, rather than stand there and hold our pee for five hours because we don't want to lose our spot in an alleged <laughs> VIP area. Unlike it made in America where we were supposed to have a dedicated <laughs> VIP host who was like, oh, it's over there. And just pointed into a crowd of thousands of people. Yeah. Like, thanks. Like, we do not see an entrance. We just see <laughs> bodies. <laughs> it's over there. You'll find it. But back to Outcast at last, we somehow got lucky. Got Ended these- up with like eight tickets to that as well mm-hmm. that now I have to sell. <laughs> Which wasn't that hard. It wasn't. I was able to get rid of them, but I got to see them after 20 years mm-hmm. finally. And it was such a great show because A, we're watching it in Atlanta. It was a festival that was basically just Outcast and Friends. We didn't have yeah. to sit through a bunch of artists and Didn't have stuff to see that- Imagine Dragons. Yeah, like the problem with or these big festivals like Coachella Pearl and Jam yeah, or whatever. And Made in America's, my taste is not varied enough. <laughs> so seeing them in their hometown was amazing so we saw pretty much all the dungeon family yeah uh, if you did a song at least one song in atlanta and you were from atlanta between 1985 and 2000 you performed on that sunday with the exception of like jermaine dupree and Ludacris. everybody else was there from big names to little names they dragged out what was his name mc shy d i haven't heard that name since like i was 11 they had everybody on this lineup i don't remember they called it the sub Southern Roundup and there was like 20 different people. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's actually a link on YouTube that has the the full concert from that day. I will put a link to it in our socials and all that stuff. But it was a great show. It started raining during the last song and that's the only show that they performed gangsta shit because it's got everybody on it because they usually were closing the show with the whole world. But that night they did the whole world then brought the Dungeon family up. Mm -hmm. So we got to see them perform gangsta shit in the rain. It was definitely the best concert we've been to yeah hands down because in terms of just being able to actually see people we want to see yeah and having a very comfortable experience (laughs) i am five feet tall so me going to concerts is terrible that's why we always have to get vip because she can't see otherwise i can't see shit and especially people you know they also like to smoke a little something and when you're down where i am mushed between people's shoulders smoking and that's the only air i can get (laughs) it's it's not not a pleasant experience yeah but that show is by far the best i've been to and bomani jones who's a sports writer and personality was at all three nights and when we were leaving I asked him which one was the best one he said that show so we got to see the best one of the it, that it, run well on that note do you have any last words I don't the only thing I can really think of is I'm going to give you a recommendation I've mm-hmm. already mentioned it we'll post the link to the at last concert in Atlanta from 2014 if you're an outcast fan dungeon family fan watch this I have a recommendation as well Okay. This is more Outcast related, but I really recommend watching the Art of Organized Noise documentary. That was going to be my suggestion, but I changed it to this. Okay. (laughs) 
And I say that because they were such a huge part of forming yeah. the Outcast sound and just Outcast becoming Outcast. It's a really interesting look into sort of all the behind the scenes stuff, how everything happened, how everything came together and stuff. A lot of times, you know the artist, but you don't always know like the the names behind the artist, right. right? And so organized noise was such a big part of this Southern Atlanta sound and yeah. Outcast. And so I would highly, highly recommend watching that. I think we watched it on Netflix. And yeah, it's on Netflix. Not for us in Canada anymore. They seem to have taken it off because oh. I wanted to watch it again. But I didn't even find notice. it wherever you live. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna close it out here. Thank you again for listening to us ramble for an hour and a half or so, <laughs> or an hour or however much we edit this down to. Again, follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, at Troy Podcast. You can check us out at our website, TroyPodcast.com. We often post things that we talk about and stuff that we reference, so I would highly recommend following the socials just to get a little extra information. Yeah. And as I said in the last episode, I have plans for the website. <laughs> it's coming. It ain't ready yet, but it's coming. But you can see what's there now. Also, we have playlists that we put up on Spotify for every episode. All you have to do is search at Troy Podcast or the title of this particular episode, and it'll pop up. Check those out as well. Is there anything else that I'm missing? Tell a friend to tell a friend to tell, tell a friend. friend to tell a friend. Oh, yeah. Uh, rate and subscribe. If you want to get these pods in your ear hole in a timely <laughs> fashion, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. And you don't have to worry about searching for us. It'll come to you. That's all I got. See you guys in two more weeks. Yep. Until next time. Bye. Bye.